to C3 Church Hepburn Heights. We believe Jesus Christ gives life to the full and we are called to live it and share it. We pray you enjoy this message today. The reading is from 1 Corinthians 13 and I'd just like to ask you, Father, today to make these familiar words strangely new to us, that we, we would open our hearts to hear them in new ways. And yet, I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing." If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonour others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes... What is, in part, disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection, as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know, in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known." And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Amen. This is the word of the Lord, if we were good Anglicans. (laughs) Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ, is how we all respond. For those of you that grew up in a more traditional atmosphere. I was going to get Susan to stand down here holding her Bible, and then we discovered how large her Bible was and thinking holding that in one hand and the microphone might be a little too much. Okay, stay with me for an intentional juxtaposition. So on Monday night, I joined 30 other thousand people of Perth and went to Harry Styles. (laughs) I'm wearing my pants, my Harry pants. They were a happy accident today. Put them on this morning. In 35 degree heat, right? Stood with my firstborn, who I love dearly, and her friends. They let me tag along. There was lots of mums there, by the way. A few dads as well. It was quite interesting. And uh, participated in the Harry Style concert, which is called Love on Tour. The irony of that is not lost on me based on what I'm sharing today, right? And given that the network was flooded because there was 30,000 people, no one could really go on their phones, So what does one do for five and a half hours whilst you're waiting for the act to come on, standing in one place, lamenting over the shoes you're wearing and reminding yourself you're 45 and what on earth are you doing? (laughs) 
Well, you watch people, right? You watch people. And so there was one such couple in front of me on Monday night who dominated kind of my view for the better part of an hour. Now, this couple was quite interesting. Late teens, both spectacularly beautiful, both him and her. She dressed incredibly wonderfully, him in his white linen shorts. There's nothing wrong with white linen shorts. (laughs) And this couple basically were in front of me the entire time. She was living her best Harry life and he would rather have eaten his arm off than be there. (laughs) So their conversation continued in a loop for about an hour along these lines. He would say, I'm so hot. I can't handle this. She would say, you'll be okay. He would say, have we seriously got to stand here for hours? I'm going to die. She would say, let's play a game whilst we wait. He said, seriously, woman, what have you dragged me to? She says, you can go sit over there for a bit behind the masses. You'll be okay over there. Just go sit down, babe. He says, you never said it was going to be like this. Why did we get here so early? He didn't talk quite this Neanderthal, but, you know, you get the point. She says, I spy with my little eye. I kid you not. I kid you not. They were at least 18 or 19. She is pulling out all the stops here, girls. He goes, I'm going to die. She says, I said you could leave. He says, I love you. But seriously, what are we doing here? (laughs) She continues with some other flamboyant demonstration of distraction, and there were a number of them. He continues to be hot, bothered, whingy, whiny, and so the conversation goes on. (laughs) It took a lot, (laughs) a lot for me to keep my mouth shut. Now, I'm not going to dissect their relationship for you here today because that would be, you know, incredibly cathartic for me and all of us involved. But what it did represent, right, is a pretty good cross-section of how love is often reflected in much of society. So he loves her. (laughs) He states that. But interestingly, he actually kind of uses that as a weapon. He says that he loves her. And yet in this loop of conversation, he doesn't see her. He doesn't differentiate himself from her, nor does he quiet quiet down his ego. He's more concerned with his feelings, his sense of comfort, his feeling good. And he uses love as a weapon. I love you, but right now you're not making me feel good. I don't feel great. And so, therefore, there is something wrong. Now, with that in mind, let's return to 1 Corinthians. Now, that 1 Corinthians 13 passage that Susan has just beautifully read is often read at weddings. It's the most oft-quoted love passage of Scripture that we have in our Bible. 
Now, don't worry, I'm not going to stay in this love, as this romantic love aspect of it and land just in romantic couples. It'll be clear as we go along that I'm going to broaden that example and that context out far more. But let's just go a little bit big picture with 1 Corinthians for a moment again. Now, if you've been here the last couple of weeks and heard Pastor Ben preached or jumped onto our YouTube or podcast platforms, you'd kind of remember this, but let me just brush stroke it contextually because that is what a good Bible interpreter does. So this is a letter, 1 Corinthians is a letter from Paul to the church at Corinth. Church at Corinth is a Christian church situated in what would have been a modern urban area of Greece. Now, like all letters, let's remember this is a letter, right? A letter is personal and it responds to and unpacks specific topics. And in Paul's case here, he is responding to a number of key issues, key problems that are happening at the church at Corinth. And so Paul addresses largely ideas around division, immorality, idolatry, and theological confusion in 1 Corinthians. Now, let's also remember that 1 Corinthians is not complete doctrine. It is not everything. Paul doesn't cover the entire gospel, the entire doctrine. He is only selective and occasional because he's responding to what is necessary and pertinent to the church that needs it. So audience-wise, the church at Corinth, there are people who are struggling with division and competition. Because that's their society at large. That's the culture that they're part of in this urban area. And so we kind of see, if you want to summarise all of 1 Corinthians in one verse, 1 Corinthians 1.10. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no division among you, but that you be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. Right. So that gives us a brushstroke of 1 Corinthians. But let's now go into 1 Corinthians 13. Now, this is a chapter on love that is inserted between the chapter on spiritual gifts and order in worship. And so this chapter is a bridge. This is a bridge between the ideas around worship and spiritual gifts. This is the whole concept of how we now actually build each other up, how we live not divided and not in competition. This is now actually how we do it. Right. So, chapter 13. Interestingly here, Paul changes his tone quite abruptly. It's in exalted Greek prose. Do you like that, Pastor Ben? I've been reading lots of commentaries. I knew you'd appreciate that. It's exalted Greek prose. And many scholars actually say that this is Paul, some of Paul's best prose that we see here in 1 Corinthians 13. And we also see here that Paul actually now has quite a personal tone, quite an authoritative tone. This isn't just instruction he's giving. He's now like, I do this, I've lived this, this is how we do it. Right. So what do we see then about love? What is embedded in this passage around the central theme of love, which is where I'm going to land today in part three of this series built up? Well, It's important to recognise that the love that Paul is referring to here is not the thin, feeling-based, overly romanticised love that is is idolised in Western culture. That is, that we witness every day, that we see every day, and our opening example couple exemplified. 
Now, unfortunately, and this is where I think English language doesn't do us very well, is in our Western concept, in our English language, we have the same word that we describe how much we like pizza, how much we appreciate our dog, the attraction that we have to somebody else, and then the feelings or the response or the relationship we have to our Heavenly Father. We have one word that encapsulates all of that. But the Greeks were a little bit broader than us. Because the word here, their word love, the definition of love, the theme of love here is the Greek word agape. Now, many of you would be familiar with this, potentially studied it. So what of agape love? Well, agape love is best understood as a way of life. It's lived in imitation of Jesus. It is not focused on oneself. It is focused on the other. Agape love is used to describe that the love that is of God and from God. And because God by his very nature is love, he must be true to that nature by showing us and demonstrating his love. So Ben Worthington, in his commentary on Corinthians, would say, the setting of chapter 13 makes it evident that Paul is not talking about natural human love but a sort of love that a human being can only express and share when he or she has been touched by God's grace and enabled by God's spirit. Agape love, friends, is God's specialty love. (laughs) Few other facets that are important for us to recognise about agape love. Agape love is not a feeling It is not a warm, tingling sensation that makes us feel good about ourselves or when we're around people. Actually, quite the contrary. Agape loves enables us to love other people when they're being especially unlovely or unlovable. Agape love can't be willed, created, generated. It is a love we receive from God and enabled by the Holy Spirit. Another facet of agape love is it has movement and ability and form and visibility. You see, agape love isn't just us feeling great, us feeling good. Oh, I feel good when I'm with you. I feel good when I'm around you. This relationship feels good. This situation feels good. Agape love has an outward focus, an others focus. Agape love moves, it has action, it has visibility. In the words of Bob Goff, it is a love that does. Worthington again would say, for the New Testament writers, of which obviously Paul is one, love is a matter of behaviour, not feeling. In particular, it is other-directed behaviour, not self-directed action. Hmm. So agape love, friends, though, we go, okay, cool, nice scripture, here you am. Friends, this isn't just a good idea. This isn't just something that would be great if we could have it, but we'll give it a crack regardless. We'll try and be in community with each other. We'll try and raise our kids. We'll try and be in a relationship without agape love because that love I've got is all right and it's doing okay. No, Paul tells us here, and in my NIV translation, it actually starts that entire chapter with love is indispensable. Agape love, friends, is absolutely necessary. 
absolutely necessary for us to be able to build one another up, for us to be able to be in community with each other, for us to be able to parent, for us to be able to be in a relationship, for us to be able to negotiate friendship, for us to be able to run a business, whatever the case it is, as believers, agape love is absolutely necessary. Because we can't possibly do this without agape love. Look, I don't know about you, but I am way too fickle, way too emotional, way too frustrating, way too selfish, way too annoying. If I'm just doing this in my own strength based on how I feel about you, based on if people are behaving lovely or lovable, we don't stand any chance, friends. And Paul would actually finish this verse by saying agape love is the greatest. It's the greatest of all virtues. And you see, the church in Corinth would have had a better understanding of this, you see, because they did not idolise eros love like we do. They, they didn't idolise that feeling romantic-based love like we do. They got better the concept of agape love. So we've got to be able to richen and thicken out our doctrine here in relation to agape love. Because agape love, friends, when it is growing in us, when it's maturing in us, when it's enabled by Holy Spirit within us, agape love enables you, friends, to treat your teenagers kindly and graciously, even if you're not sure if you like them that day. Agape love is a choice to stay in that marriage, even when feelings have inevitably faded after 10 or 20 or 30 years. Agape love enables us to stay in a 500-strong people church community, even when we may be doing things that are frustrating and weird and complex and unlovable. These are just, you know, hypothetical examples, of course. Agape love shuts its mouth and grows up when it sees that its girlfriend is desperate for you to be selfless at a concert you have agreed to go to. And so whilst the world is out here shouting and affirming that love is dependent on how lovely you are or how lovable you are or how good it makes you feel, we here, friends, as believers, as the body of Christ, we have a love gifted by Jesus, empowered by the Spirit that transcends or should transcend that, go above that. It should be outside the conditions of that. Agape love needs to be our hallmark, our differentiator, our absolutely necessary way of living with each other, building each other up, building his church. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was preparing this, it brought me to a place of repentance, right? Because we need to recognise be reminded of the cost of such love. Peter Grieg, one of my favourites, he wrote a recent Valentine's Day poem and the last stanza of that which he shared on his Instagram just ripped me. 
and I want to read those words. And so just let it sit heavy on your heart. And so may the arms of love flung wide on the cross embrace the unlovely, lovely and unloving parts of my world, my workplace and my life today. Forgive me, I pray, for this cheap, hysterical, isolating thing I have sometimes made of love, of life and of you. Amen, right? And so I hear you, Em. I get this big idea of agape love, but, you know, give me the lowdown. Give it to me in detail. Don't just inspire me. What's my steps? How do I differentiate from the lure of love that Hollywood has sold me, that TikTok is selling me? The love that I thought I'd have by having a baby or starting a relationship or being in that friendship group or being in church. How do I differentiate those things? Well, thankfully, friends, Paul in his genius actually provides some incredible, useful and practical markers of agape love. He wasn't so ridiculous to go, church at Corinth, just figure this out. And so nor am I. So let's look at this agape love checklist, if you will, that we see in the middle part of that portion of scripture, essentially between verses four and seven. And what Paul does here is he actually defines two postures of agape love. He defines a resistance posture and an active posture. Or what Paul David Tripp would say, there is a constructive zeal and a deconstructive zeal. There is things we need to do and things we need not to do if we are to be those who are to live and grow and be agape love people. So agape love, Paul tells us, embraces a few things. Here's some things that agape love embraces and we see these scattered through verses 4 and 7. Agape love embraces kindness, patience, faith and trust and hope. Those are postures of embracing, an active posture, a constructive zeal. Oh, look at that little list. Let's not look at the last one just yet, but you know, kindness, patience, faith, trust, hope. Nice ones, lovely ones. All the feels when you bundle your baby up for the first time or see your wife walk down the aisle or lay eyes on the guy that you like or I preach really well or your pastor says encouraging things or your dad tells you you're really great. Oh, I can be patient and kind and hopeful and trustworthy. All the feels. (laughs) But embedded there, friends, is another posture that we can't underestimate is agape love is a love that perseveres. It goes beyond the good feelings. Then in verse 6, we also see that it is a love that rejoices with the truth. Hmm, 
okay, a truth that might be a bit awkward, might cause you to be vulnerable, might feel a bit clunky, a truth you may have to receive without feeling threatened or defensive or victimised. So there are postures in here of embracing this agape love that has grit friends. There is a gritty nature here to agape love. There is a resiliency, a robustness. Agape love defies the impulse to jump ship when someone shows us who they really are. Agape love challenges the desire to give up and get out of there when it might get a little bit funky, hard or different to what we expected. Agape love does not abandon, reject or foul the other person because they have not conformed to the image of what we thought they should be. Hmm. Agape love is costly, gritty and purposeful. Doskoski would say, to love someone means to, and this is mine, keep seeing them as God intended them. It's a posture to keep seeing them as God intended them. And yet they will regularly show you that they're not lovely or lovable. And so those are some postures that agape love embraces that we see embedded here in this passage. But there's also other postures, deconstructive, resistant things that agape love needs to do. Agape love needs to resist envy, Boasting, arrogance and pride. Well, this is a good list. Resist dishonour, selfishness, anger, resentment and wrongdoing. Okie dokie. Now, I don't mean to throw the guy with his white linen pants at Harry Styles under a bus... But I could see a lot of that on display, in him, packaged in, I love you, babe. And it's okay. He doesn't know Jesus. We don't need to throw him under a bus. But that's a pretty confronting list, right? And whilst the guy at Harry Styles might have been quite obvious in his arrogance, his selfishness, his anger, his resentment, friends, if we're honest with ourselves as believers, we can do this as well. I just think we've got better at masking them or covering them up in religious language. Hmm. You see, boasting can look quite a lot like a curated Instagram feed. Envy can look like your my inability to encourage somebody else because we see them as our competition. Selfishness can look like our inability to have a conversation with someone really listening because we're too busy thinking about what we're going to say next. Anger can look like passive-aggressiveness of which is often earmarked by being late. I'll just leave that with you. Resentment can sound like us tossing and turning in our sleep, replaying conversations, 
wrongdoing can look like subtle movements away from the call of God and the community of God, shrouded in, but I feel peaceful about it. Garpe love resists these postures, resists these expressions, deconstructs this sinful, idolatry nature within us. It's gone really quiet. Just be aware, anything I'm preaching, I have battled myself this very week, month, year life, okay? So how can we then apply this revelation? If that has just hit you in some way today, there's been like a little Holy Spirit illumination, something's happening in your heart and you have a sense of revelation. How can we then live the next step? I'm going to finish today with some next steps for us. Okay, so practically speaking, how can we lean into agape love better? How can we grow in this space? You're going to love this phrase. We need to quieten our ego. Friends, it's one of the greatest travesties of the Christian community (laughs) that we don't operate like a community. We often operate like a heap of individuals that come together and then leave. We don't lean into each other as brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers and cousins of the faith. We don't seek each other's wisdom. Somewhere along the line, friends, us as believers have bought the lie that we should just know stuff. And if we don't, we Google it or ask Auntie Margaret or listen to the person that shouts the loudest in caps lock on our social media feed. I know firsthand all the time people out there in their relational world, and and I'm here, I'm talking about the gamut of relationships, marriage, family, workplaces, friendships. They get to a point where it's critical and they need a miracle. And then they come to us as a pastoral team. And friends, we love that and we want to be there for you in that space. But do you know what we would love more as your pastors? If you let us walk beside you in the journey if you chatted to us on a Sunday and a Wednesday and asked for our insight and our wisdom, our experience, come to us when you need a miracle by all means, but come to us just when you're in the journey. I'm not claiming to be an expert, right? But I am raising three teenagers and they're pretty great humans. And I have been married nearly 25 years And I do run a staff of 35 people and lead a church of over a 1,000 in five different locations. And do you know how often I'm asked questions about how to do love? Twice a year. (laughs) We would love you to lean into that space with us. Em, what's your three tips for raising teen girls? 
Em, how do you navigate weekly criticism? Em, how can I handle conflict better? And I know the same goes for our entire pastoral team. We would love this. We would love if you would lean into this space with us. This is the beauty of this community. And we underestimate it and we undervalue it. Now, look, if I appear intimidating and I've really worked on that for 10 years and really worked on my face and my smiliness. And, but if you still find me intimidating, that's okay. If you don't want to come and ask me questions, do you know what? Seek out those that are living with an expression of agape love. Seek out those that have got some longevity or some wisdom or some experience. Go and have a chat with Sheila McCrudden. Where is she? One of the most kindest, gracious women I know who's been married for decades and still stands with a beautiful smile in the foyer every single time I see her. Or go and talk to Trent and Lana Williams who are raising three beautiful, spunky, creative children and have them playing all around here as they do worship prac and come here early on a Sunday morning. Trent and Lana, how have you done that? Talk to me about that. Go talk to Brooke Howard. How she manages to see people and love people and differentiate herself and and make new people and guests feel so welcome and so loved. Friends, there are brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers here. Let's lean on each other. This is a gift. We are a gift. But we've got to quieten our ego because your ego would say, oh, no, you've got it. You don't need them. You're okay. If you don't want to have a conversation with someone, we've, we've then got another version. We've got marriage grid and parenting grid. These are online, digital versions of our best material in the agape love space. Marriage grids re- launched again just this week, season four. Jason and I, we're doing, this is our fourth season. That means we've been recording for three years. Genevieve and Derek are going to launch parenting grid next week. Jump on to our podcast platforms, friends. We need to be a work in progress with this. So I keep learning this posture. Jace has demonstrated this to me his whole entire ministry life. When we meet with someone that's a little bit further along, we go with two or three or four questions. We lean in. What have they got to offer us? What have they got to show us? What have they got to demonstrate to us? Because, friends, if we're not leaning into and growing in agape love, what's the alternative? We're just going to wing it, feel it, rely on Google. Because, you know, let let me just say, they're not having a great love success rate out in the world in terms of friendships, marriages, conflict management, parenting. It's not really proving to be the greatest model of love. So we must be those in here who love well. Because if we don't, friends, if we're not those who are agape love people, who are we? We're just a club. Club that comes together, does a few things and leaves. John 13, 35. Your love for one another will prove to everyone you're my disciples. I want to prove to people that God's love is better than any love that they are trying to pull into their life. It's got to be different, friends. And this will take some growing. 
This might feel a bit icky. You might even be feeling like you're being pruned a little bit today. It might have some awkward adolescent years. There might be some sulking, tantrums and conflict, and that might just be from me. But Pete Scazzaro would say, love in practice is a harsh and dreadful thing compared to love in dreams. Loving well is the goal of the Christian life. This is easier in our dreams than in our practice. It requires that we grow into emotional adulthood in Christ. Friends, I want us emotional adulthood. I want us emotionally mature. Agape love, friends, you see, shuts up, grows up, listens up, shows up. Paul would say it like this in verse 11. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man... I put the ways of childhood behind me. Friends, stand with me today. And Burdine, if you can please come. So those are some practical steps about leaning into each other, having conversations with one another. Spiritually speaking, though, as I finish here today, Agape love, friends, grows as a fruit. It is the manifestation, the existence of Holy Spirit alive in us. We all know Galatians 5.22, right? The fruits of the Spirit are love, starting point. All the others flow out of love. The fruit, that is the evidence of the Spirit in your life. The working of the Spirit, you leaning into the Spirit. See, when we're singing those songs about come Holy Spirit, that isn't come Holy Spirit, make me feel good. (laughs) Come Holy Spirit, make me more like you so I can bless and love others. That's actually what that is. I don't feel it in. That's okay. I don't 98% of the time either. But do you know what faith does? Faith builds up and you believe that God is doing a strengthening work in your spirit and soul because you don't idolise feelings. You serve a mighty God. Romans 5.5 Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Friends, this is a continual process. This is why when we're asking for the Holy Spirit, this is what we're asking for. Let me receive your love again so I can shut up my ego. I can repent of the idol of feeling And I can be grounded and anchored in a costly, Jesus died on the cross for me, love, so that I can love others. And so friends, close your eyes in a moment as I pull this all together. So we need to pray, friends. We need to posture ourselves. This needs to be a daily exercise. Every time I come up to preach, my phrase is, Lord, Let me love them like you do. Love you like he does. And I know sometimes I'm doing a mama bear message, which this is today, but I want to love you like Jesus does. And flip and heck, I cannot do that in my own strength. Just close your eyes in a moment. 
Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, pour into our hearts again. Where we have made love something that it is not. Where we have tarnished your love. Oh, dear Lord. When we have made it all about us and all about our good feelings. Father, we do, we repent, we are sorry. Lord, what a gift agape love is. What a gift you are. What a gift Jesus is. Holy Spirit, come and be that evidence in our life again. Lord, I pray this week, bring about a sense of revelation of things we may need to embrace or resist. Conversations we're having, Lord, convict us, admits that very moment. Lord, may we quieten our ego even as we go out here today and have conversations in the foyer with those that are a little bit further along and say, teach me, show me, I need you. And Lord, may we posture ourselves daily, asking Holy Spirit that we may know your love. We may live in your love. We may be those who live in that love, just as Paul said, because it is the most excellent way and it is the most indispensable way. Lord, build this in us so we can build each other and build your church. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for joining us here on our podcast. We encourage you to let this word further help you live and share the life to the full that Jesus gives. If you want to check out more about our upcoming events, service times, locations, or to give online, go to c3hh.com.au.